Good afternoon. The time is 1 o'clock. You are tuned to WEHC Emory and WISE FM Wise. It is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023, and time now for another edition of Farm Talk with Virginia Tech Agricultural Extension Agent Phil Blevins, here to answer all your questions about farming and agricultural things, and last week I believe you were talking about cuts of meat and ways to cook them, and we got a question in about a timely one since tomorrow being Thanksgiving, how do you cook a turkey? Okay, that's a good question because today uh, we're going to be talking about turkeys. So that certainly fits in with what we're talking about today uh, as we approach Thanksgiving. Everybody is interested in, uh, at least they think about turkey. Maybe not everybody eats turkey. Personally, I like beef better, but uh, I do like turkey as well. So that's a good question. So as we think about that, uh, let's talk about cooking a Thanksgiving turkey. We'll start out with the end at the beginning here. So uh, first of all, uh, obviously most turkeys that you're going to have access to, unless you raise your own turkeys or know someone that can have give you one fresh, is you're going to have to thaw the turkey. And the best method for doing that is in the refrigerator. Uh, maybe your mom or your grandma uh, actually thawed it on the counter, but that is certainly not a good idea because as the turkey thaws, the temperature will rise on the outside, and then it'll take uh, several, maybe even hours for it to thaw on the inside, and so you end up with an unsafe condition on the surface and the outer edge of the turkey. It can, If you're thawing it in the refrigerator, you need to allow about 24 hours for every four to five pounds of frozen turkey. So if you're fixing a turkey for tomorrow on Thanksgiving and it's frozen, that's probably not going to work to thaw it in a refrigerator. Another method of doing that is to uh, uh, actually thaw the turkey in water uh, and then uh, keep it in cold water, keep it wrapped in the wrapper that it comes in and even place it in a plastic bag to be able to thaw it and keep the turkey cold in cold water and it'll thaw faster if you, if you actually uh, rotate the water periodically um, or empty the water and put fresh water in. And so you can thaw a turkey in a microwave. Uh, the best way to determine that is, is to go to the manual for your microwave and see what they recommend as far as thawing time and thawing temperatures uh, to be able to, to thaw a turkey in the microwave. All right, so let's talk about cooking the turkey then. Well, uh, once you've got it thawed, uh, you have uh, several things to think about, uh, and you know you're going to have to. Uh, you're going two things. Let me back up. I sound like I'm stumbling here, but two things. First of all, are you going to stuff the turkey, and secondly, are you going to cook the turkey without stuffing? And so, the extension people actually uh, official recommendation from extension would be. Uh, to recommend not stuffing the turkey. You can cook one that way. And the reason for that is, is it takes longer for the stuffing to reach a safe internal temperature when it's cooked inside the bird. Uh, the best thing to do is actually prepare the stuffing separately in a different dish. But if your heart's just set on stuffing the turkey, then there are ways to do it safely. And so what you would do is prepare the stuffing just as you were getting ready to put the turkey in the oven and stuff it loosely. Don't pack it in there because obviously if you pack the stuffing in tightly, then it's going to be harder 
for it to reach a safe internal temperature, whereas if it's stuffed loosely, then it can get to the correct temperature early. Uh, once you're ready to put the, uh, got the oven ready and you're getting ready to put the turkey in the oven, put the breast side up on a rack or a shallow pan. Uh, using a rack under the turkey allows the drippings to fall below the turkey and, and helps to evenly distribute the heat around the bird. Uh, you should have a meat thermometer, hopefully, unless you buy one of the turkeys that has the indicator in it that pops up when it's, when it's reached a safe temperature on the inside. Uh, but use a meat thermometer and place the meat thermometer in the thickest part of the breast or the thickest part of the thigh and roast the turkey till the thermometer reaches a temperature of a minimum of 165 degrees. So all parts of the turkey need to be a minimum of 165 degrees. And if you stuff the bird, uh, then the stuffing also has to reach a minimum temperature of 165 degrees. When you, if you use the meat thermometer, make sure uh, that the thermometer is not touching bone uh, because the temperature of the bone will go up faster than the meat. And if you notice on meat thermometers, they usually have a, I would call it a dent or a crimp place in the stem of the meat thermometer. Uh, some of them do, and that's where the temperature is actually taken. And so be sure that you're aware of where the temperature sensor point is on your meat thermometer so that you get an accurate reading on that. Uh, set the oven for 325 degrees. Now, cooking time is a big deal with the turkey. Uh, because an 8 to 12 pound unstuffed turkey is going to take about two and three quarter hours to cook. Uh, you get a bigger turkey than that, it's certainly going to take a lot longer than that. For example, if you're cooking a 20 to 40 or 20 to 24 pound turkey, uh, you're talking about four and a half to five hours of cooking time for the turkey. And so if it's stuffed, it's going to take longer than that. And so uh, a good turkey is a done turkey. I don't know many people that like poultry medium rare, so uh, and it's certainly not something that that we would recommend that you do. Uh, turkey meat can tend to be dry, just as any meat can, and there's really one trick for a moister turkey. Uh, once you take the turkey out of the oven, let it sit for about 20 minutes, and that allows for even redistribution of the juices so they spread back through the turkey, and the whole turkey will be moist that way. And so that's some thoughts on cooking uh if uh you know if you if you have other questions you can contact our office about that but but be safe whatever you do when you're cooking the turkey so you can enjoy the meal let's look a little bit at, at turkeys and because turkeys are an important bird they're certainly an important bird in virginia and in some of the other states that have a, a large turkey industry but domestic turkeys, uh, they actually come from wild turkeys. Um, the Latin name for that is Meleagris gallopavo, if you're really interested in that, which you're probably not. Uh, but that's a species that is native only to the Americas. So the turkey is a North American bird. And so uh, actually it was, it's likely that the Mayans of southern Mexico were the first to domesticate turkeys maybe 2,000 years ago. And it's the only indigenous animal dom domesticated in North and Central America. If you look back at Mayan history, uh, turkeys were everywhere in Mayan archaeology and, and iconography. Uh, the ancient Mayan uh, had one of the most advanced civilizations in the world, and part of their culture was the love of turkey. Uh, the bird was uh, conceived of as being exceptional, gifted with exceptional powers. 
Uh, they believe it could be harmful to human from nocturnal and dream space. So they were very superstitious about this turkey. Uh, turkeys are portrayed as godlike figures in, in Mayan religious imagery, and at least one Maya ruler included the word for turkey in his royal nickname. Uh, so uh, they, the birds then were owned almost exclusively by the rich and powerful. We don't think about that today, but um, that's the way it was, at least based on what archaeologists and other, others have discovered about this culture. But in the 1500s, as the Spanish traders came to the Americas, uh, they found that they found these birds and they brought some of these domesticated turkeys uh, back to Europe and Asia. And there's lots of things, you read lots of things about turkeys, and so we'll kind of talk about both sides of what people thought. But the bird reportedly got its common name because it reached European tables through shipping routes that passed through Turkey. And so that's how it got one of the thoughts about how it got it designated as a turkey. Um, and on a continent where uh, up to that point, fine dining still included eating storks, which certainly doesn't sound good to have a scavenger that you ate as fine dining, or herons or bustards, which were a land-dwelling bird. Uh, the meaty, succulent turkey was certainly a sensation in Europe. When the Europeans first came to the Americas uh, they, and they encountered turkeys, uh, they incorrectly identified them as some type of peacock known as a turkey fowl. That's another thought on how it got its name. And the turkey fowl came from the exotic east. And so, you know, at that time, the Europeans associated anything from the east with the Ottoman Empire. And so they gave the name of it turkey. That's another thought of how it came up with the name turkey. And it's, it's, they also assumed that it was a turkey fowl because they thought they were in Asia. So it's amazing how names somewhat like Indian when Columbus came here and thought he was in the Indies. Uh, later on, uh, when English settlers uh, finally came to our part of the world, they were amazed to find the same birds running wild and free. And they tasted really good because of their diet. One thing about meat is it does, it is subject to picking up flavors from whatever it's fed. We talked about that in beef in terms of grass-fed versus grain-fed beef. But when you had the wild turkeys that were eating chestnuts and beech nuts and other type of mast like that, it certainly gave them a good flavor. And so, but in the 17th century, as more colonists came here, they introduced some of the European bread types into eastern North America. So you actually had them bringing some of the uh, domestic type turkeys that had, that had been actually bred and improved in Europe to this part of the world. You know, there's a lot of lore around Benjamin Franklin and turkeys. Uh, some people believe, that, and you find multiple references to that, that Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey to serve as our national emblem. Uh, and he believed, you know, it was a beautiful, genuinely American bird. And it was really important to the colonists. And by the way, it's very unlikely that at the first Thanksgiving they ate a turkey. They probably ate a duck or a goose or some kind of waterfowl based on where they were. But Benjamin Franklin is quoted as having wished the wild turkey instead of the bald eagle had been chosen to represent her country. He thought the eagle was a bird of bad moral character and that the turkey was much more respectable. So some have even said that Franklin wanted to put the turkey on the American flag. And so depending on the resources you look at, some say that's not the case, but many references do say that Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey to be the national bird. 
And the wild turkey is just one of two species of the turkey world. There's another one called the oscillated turkey of Mexico and Central America. It's much the body shape of the wild turkey that we're familiar with, but it's very different looking on the head um, based on the color patterns and stuff. And so uh, as the colonists uh, settled here, the Wampanoag, I'm probably not saying that right, in Plymouth colonists, often ate wild turkey. Uh, however, it was, as I said, it wasn't specifically mentioned with the first Thanksgiving. Uh, and wild turkeys uh, run wild in many parts of Virginia today. Uh, they're different from domestic turkeys in several ways. Obviously, wild turkeys can fly. Domesticated turkeys can't fly because of the, they have more meat. Has been, they've been bred to produce more meat, and so they're too heavy to fly. Wild turkeys, though, uh, can fly for short distances up to 55 miles an hour, so they're a fast bird. They can also run 25 miles an hour, and if you're familiar with wild turkeys, you're familiar with that. Wild turkey doesn't taste the same as domesticated turkey that you're going to buy at the grocery store. And that's basically, or really, it's because of the different diet. It's not because it's a different bird. And wild turkeys also have more dark meat than a domesticated turkey because uh, they use their muscles more, obviously, uh, than a domesticated turkey, plus the fact domesticated turkeys have been bred to have more meat. Uh, the wild turkey uh, was the largest ground-nesting bird that the first people that came to this country found. And there were abundant number of wild turkeys at that time, but it declined rapidly with colonization to the point that people wondered if the wild turkey would even continue to exist. Uh, wild turkey populations dipped to their lowest numbers about the 1930s. Uh, the, only in the most accessible habitats, or inaccessible habitats, I should say. Uh, but by the 1930s, it was estimated that there are only 30,000 wild turkeys in America. And so there was a large conservation effort made uh, to restore the wild turkey. And, and there were 200,000 trapped, and that began the restoration as they distributed these turkeys uh, to begin to restore the wild turkey. And so we'll come back to this in just a few minutes, and at this time right now, we'll take a break. Thank you. You are tuned to Farm Talk with Phil Blevins today, discussing everything about turkeys, how to cook them, how to find them in the wild, and whether or not maybe they should be on the flag. As long as it's not the guinea, I'm okay with it. And, uh, Phil, you do have um, another question. A lot of folks are wondering, you said you want to get the temperature up to 165 degrees. Does that mean the rested temperature, or you want to wait in when it's still in the oven to get it up to 165? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, actually, that is the temperature that it would be in the oven, when you get it to 165 degrees in the oven. Now, one thing about meat, uh, generally after you take the meat out of the oven, uh, whether regardless of the type of meat, the temperature will continue to go up for a period of time because of the heat, maybe 10 degrees or so. So the 165 is the temperature that you want it to reach in the oven. That's a good question. And if you are listening in and have a question for Phil about turkeys or another subject, you can feel free to send in an email, pblevins at vt. Edu, or you can call the radio station 
6933. Locally owned and operated since 1914, Food Country USA provides customers quality and value with products sourced from farms in our region. From the farm, to our stores, to your table. Food Country USA. I'm Reed Snow with Snow's Fine Meats and Provisions, and I support WEHC because they're public radio that truly supports and enriches Appalachia. They're a valuable resource, and I'm glad my advertising dollars are going back into my community. We are back now with more Farm Talk, and once again, here's your host, Phil Blevins. Okay, Ivy, thank you all for having me with you, with you again today. We were talking about wild turkeys and the fact that the wild turkey its existence was questionable in in the 30s and 1930s. But there was a big effort made to trap wild turkeys and redistribute those. And so it's one of the greatest comebacks as far as wildlife management that there's ever been because today there are more than 7 million wild turkeys in the country that are roaming the woodlands. As a matter of fact, in some parts of the country, soybean growers, they become a pest in the soybean fields. They're Estimated to be 180,000 wild turkeys in Virginia today. In 1991, the spring wild turkey hunting season was open for the first time in every one of the 49 states. Alaska, I don't know that the population has ever been in Alaska. And there are actually five subspecies of wild turkeys. You know, you think a wild turkey is a wild turkey, but there are actually five, five subspecies of wild turkey. There's the eastern wild turkey, which inhabits roughly the eastern half of the United States. You have the Florida wild turkey, which in its Latin name has uh, has Osceola in its Latin name, and it was described in 1890 uh, by W.E.D. Scott, and it was named for the famous Seminole chief, Osceola, who led his tribe against the white man in a war beginning in 1835. And it's found roughly the southern half of Florida. Then you have... Merriam's, Merriam's wild turkey, like Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and that's in the mountainous regions of the western United States. You have the Rio Grande wild turkey, which is in northeastern Mexico. And then there's a fifth species, subspecies called Gould's wild turkey, which is found in the northwestern part of Mexico and parts of southern Arizona and New Mexico. Uh, those of you that know turkey hunters, hear turkey hunters talk about the lingo that they use. And wild turkeys grow a beard throughout the life of the bird. It's usually, they get about four inches of a beard a year, so they would fit well on Duck Dynasty probably if they were a character on that. But the juvenile males are called jakes, and they normally have a beard that's about two to four inches in length by the first spring gobbler season. The adult males, or the toms, they commonly sport beards that are about 8 to 12 inches in length, and the overall length of the beard is regulated by it dragging on the ground and wearing off, so they would have a much longer beard if it didn't wear off. A little trivia about turkeys, a group of turkeys called a rafter. Uh, we talk about flocks, and that's certainly an appropriate term, but they're technically called a rafter. A nest, nest full of turkey eggs is called a clutch, much as it is with bobwhite, quail, or a lot of birds. The male turkey is called a tom and the female a hen. People refer to the younger turkeys as poults once they begin to grow. And only the tom turkeys gobble. Uh, if you hear a turkey gobbling near you, which is not uncommon in southwest Virginia, that's a tom. And the hens make a clucking sound. 
Uh, a turkey's kind of an odd-looking bird in some ways when you look at his head. The red fleshy thing that hangs from the turkey's neck is called the wattle. And then the gobbler has a red fleshy thing that looks like a pencil hanging over his beak that's called the snood. And the wattles are used, it's believed, for partly for cooling uh, in the summertime because they're blood-rich, and so they can transfer heat out of the wattle. But the snood is actually used by the gobbler as he is courting the mate. And so uh, they are a strange-looking bird in that regard. Uh, today, the farm birds, or today's birds that you would buy in the store, uh, actually they, they are produced through artificial insemination. The turkeys that are bred today for the, uh, uh, for the food market, the consumer market, are too heavy to breed and mate naturally. And each Thanksgiving, about 675 million pounds of turkeys consumed in the United States. That's a lot of turkeys. And on average, Americans eat about 16.4 pounds of turkey a year. And so some of you don't eat any turkey probably, so that means somebody else eats a lot of turkey because it's sold in delis and other places that we might encounter at restaurants. Uh, the U.S. is the largest turkey producer and largest exporter of turkey products in the world. And uh, when we think about that, while it is a big export market, it is still Americans are a big consumer. Some turkey farmers uh, still range feed small flocks of turkeys. When I first moved to Virginia, it wasn't uncommon uh, in the valley, up in the Shenandoah Valley, to drive along and see a field full of turkeys. People still... Uh, pastured turkeys at that point. Now, in the commercial industry, most of those turkeys are produced in houses now. Uh, those turkeys that are range-fed, and there are people in our area, small turkey producers that sell fresh turkeys to people, uh, they turn them loose to find their own grain and weed seed and insects. It's interesting to see a group of wild turkeys going across the field eating grasshoppers and crickets and things that they can find in the grass. Um, and then a lot of those that range feed will feed them with grain, whole corn, just before they're getting ready to sell them so that they plump up. Uh, turkeys have about 3,500 feathers on them. I don't know how that, if that's important to you, but you know it now. And Sesame Street's big bird costume is actually made out of turkey feathers. So, uh, but one of the interesting things about turkeys is we think about driving cattle, but back before modern transportation, uh, farmers uh, drove their turkeys to market. You'd see people going through towns and villages with a flock of turkeys or a rafter of turkeys, uh, moving them to market. And it's said that in the British Isles that they would put leather shoes on their turkeys and walk them to market because they had to walk so far. Uh, farmers in Norfolk uh, in Great Britain would dip the turkey's feet in tar and sand to make wellies for them to walk to London uh, because sometimes it would take up to two months to walk the turkeys that far. Uh, in a commercial setting, turkeys are fed mainly a balanced diet of corn and soybean meal mixed with uh, supplements of vitamins and minerals. And it takes about, they're a pretty efficient bird as far as converting food, their food to our food. On average, it takes about 84 pounds of feed to raise a 30-pound tom turkey. So that's about just a little over two pounds of feed to one pound of, of bird. Uh, the hen usually grows 16 weeks uh, in a commercial setting and weighs 8 to 16 pounds when they're processed. 
The tom takes about 19 weeks to get to market weight of 24 pounds. And so you can buy larger birds at the grocery store sometimes, and those obviously take longer to grow. But in early on in the history of turkeys, they were kept on small farms, not just for their meat, uh, but also because they were good uh, at eating insects. And so they were a great source of pest control. And turkeys, as I said, were allowed to graze. And uh, my father-in-law uh, grew up on top of a mountain near Roan Mountain in Carter County, Tennessee. And they had a flock of turkeys, and they kept one with a bell on. They kept a bell on their turkey, a turkey bell, so they could find the flock when it was in the bushes and things like that, much as like people did with cows. Uh, sometimes turkeys are hard to raise because they're curious. They can get their head caught in fences. Uh, and they have to be taught to eat out of special feeders and waterers. Now, obviously, the hen, uh, as she raises poults, is going to teach them how to eat. But if you bought uh, turkey chicks or the small turkeys and you were going to raise those, you have to teach them how to drink. You actually have to dip their beak in the water so that they understand what's going on. It's not because they're a stupid animal. They just have to learn. Uh, it's also, uh, if you start out with uh, turkey chicks and you're going to water them in a pan, you need to put some gravels in there so the chicks, if they fall in it, they won't drown if they fall over in it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, myth about turkeys. Some people have said you got to get them in out of the rain or they'll stand and look up in the air till they drown, and that's, that's just a myth. That's not true. They do tend to cock their head to the sideways and look up some. Uh, turkey skins are tanned and used to make items like cowboy boots and belts and other accessories. And there's actually a ballroom dance known as the turkey trot that was named for the short jerky steps that a turkey makes. Uh, some people in, in have become really interested in heritage turkeys. Uh, you know, by the late 1800s, poultry producers had developed dozens of different breeds and varieties and strains of turkeys. And only a few of those have survived, like the Auburn, the Buff, the Black, uh, the Bourbon Red, the Narragansett, the Royal Palm, one that you're probably familiar with is the Standard Bronze. And just to tell you just a short thing about that, the English colonists, when they introduced the uh, turkeys to North America, they were certainly exceptional, exceptional birds compared to the Eastern Wild Turkey. Uh, but they did some crosses with the eastern wild turkey, and that resulted in the breed called the Narragansett. And that was named in recognition of the Native Americans that occupied New England. Virginia, to wind up the show today, Virginia is the sixth largest turkey producer in the United States, with about 15.3 million birds per year. Minnesota is the largest, with North Carolina being second. And that was actually the modern turkey commercial production was started by Charles Wampler in Rockingham County. He was a county agent in Rockingham County, Virginia, back in the 20s. And Rockingham County has been known as the turkey capital of the world. And so he began that with the help of A.L. Dean at Virginia Tech, and they actually began the modern uh, turkey production systems and industry that we have today. So. If you like turkey, enjoy your turkey. Just be sure you cook it safely, and it was good to be with you today. Thank you, Phil. You have been listening to Farm Talk with Phil Blevins. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday at 1 o'clock for another edition of Farm Talk. 
You can email questions to Phil at plevins at vt.edu or give us a call here at WEHC 276-944-6933. And we want to wish you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving. And if you're eating turkey tomorrow, we know you're going to get sleepy after that. Why is that, Phil? It must be a chemical thing associated with turkey. I don't know if I know the right answer to that. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.